everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Seamless Connection podcast. I am thrilled today to have with me two of my favorite hospital leaders, R.D. Williams and Dakota Red from Henry Regional Medical Center in Clewiston in Florida. Um, I am going to let them introduce themselves because they both have very interesting and varied backgrounds, but we're here today to talk about happiness. Um, but first, R.D.? Yeah, I'm R.D. Williams. I'm the Chief Executive Officer here at Henry Regional Medical Center. We're a 25-bed critical access hospital in rural South Central Florida. I've been doing this a long time, probably longer than Mina's been alive, but uh, started out in uh, 1981, just just a long time ago, and have worked around the country and uh, ended up here in Florida for the past 10 years. And uh, I'm Dakota Red, Chief Nursing Officer of the hospital here at uh, Hendry Regional Medical Center in Clewiston. Um, I actually, I've been in healthcare for almost 40 years as well. Um, I, my clinical background is critical care, got into emergency care um, some years back, uh, was in the C-suite for a long time, and I haven't looked back since, and um, it's been probably, um, without a doubt, the best part of my career. That's fantastic. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. Um, From both of you, before we jump into um, the local community and the impacts you've been making with some of uh, the new initiatives you started over the last few years and your learnings from that, could you tell us what brought you both into healthcare? You both, uh, as you mentioned, you've had a long uh, career in healthcare. And as as we all know, um, sometimes a passion dies, right? And you're just doing it as a job. But for both, from both of you, you know, as well as I know you guys, you actually care and you're still, it seems, I don't know where you were at the beginning of your career, but you are still excited to talk about and deal with healthcare uh, today as you were the first day that I met you. And I'd love to understand kind of what's brought you to healthcare, what drives that passion, what's kept you so passionate about it, whether it was a personal story that's kind of motivates you internally or just something from the day to day that kind of drives that fire and that passion. Well, you know, Mina, um, my my journey in healthcare goes back to, it's been dinner table conversation in my home um, since I can remember dinner table conversations. My father was a hospital administrator. My mother was a nursing educator. And um, they modeled for me uh, not only service, um, but being a servant leader and how um, healthcare is about helping others. Uh, and so that, that's been my entire career is uh, from where I started out as a department manager, being a materials manager, you know, serving others, making sure they had the tools and, and, and supplies they needed to work with until uh, my movement into the um, top executive position in, in organizations. You know, that, that's been my focus. And, and what I want to try to do is to make sure that um, the folks that we work with that are providing the direct patient care to patients have what they need um, to provide that care, and then that our organizations can impact the communities that support them, that um, we, we want to make our communities a better place to live so that um, the, the folks that we live with in these communities uh, can be happy and healthy and um, have the best lives that they can. And I, I can tell you, my um, journey into healthcare was somewhat uh, serendipitous in that um, it was a tough 
market for work. And um, my mom had worked in and out of hospitals and she said, hey, why don't you try getting into healthcare? And so I did. Now, um, really, I was a strong right brained kind of person. I was very artsy, like painting and things like that. And for some reason, when uh, I started getting involved in direct uh, patient care, that right side of my brain was just on fire. I just felt like I was doing so much good and there was so much more good to do. Um, and so, you know, that's where I started thinking of myself in terms of being an advocate for healthcare and taking care of folks. And um, that really was the underpinnings of, of, of my passion for doing what I, what I do. Um, and it's been that way ever since. That's fantastic. Um, and we're talking about, you know, giving back to the community. Can you tell us a little bit about the community of Cluston? Cause I know from a critical access hospital perspective, you are so tightly integrated with your community and serving the needs of your community. And you know, like the rhythms and the beats and, and all of that. So just so, so the audience can understand, cause we're going to talk about how you guys were able to build in a happiness advantage for your staff. So just to get a sense of understanding, you know, what is the community your staff comes from? Who are the patients you're trying to serve and what, you know, what are their needs compared to maybe, you know, someone in the audience that they're familiar or not familiar with just to set a little bit of context. Sure. So, you know, Clewiston, where our hospital is located, is in Hendry County, Florida. Hendry County, Florida, if you look at a map of Florida, there's a big hole down towards the um, bottom center, which is Lake Okeechobee. And uh, Hendry County and Clewiston are on the southern shores of Lake Okeechobee. We're almost identically uh, equal distant from the Atlantic and Pacific coast, or Gulf of Mexico coast, between the towns of um, Palm Beach and Fort Myers. So we're, you know, 65 miles either way. Um, we're we're up 110 miles north of Miami. Uh, I like to tell folks that we're 90 miles from 9 million people. Uh, the, the county of Hendry has about 34,000 permanent residents. Uh, we, we see an influx uh, during our season, the winter months for most people. Uh, from folks from Canada and the upper Midwest. Uh, they'll come and camp in the RV campgrounds and fish on the lake and, and do those types of things. But traditionally, Hendry County is a um, agriculturally centered county. Um, two population centers, uh, Clewiston, which is on the eastern side of the county, and LaBelle, which is on the uh, western side of the county. Uh, Clewiston's got about 7,600 uh, residents. LaBelle's got about 6,000. Um, uh, Hendry County as a whole is 52% of the population um, are native Spanish speakers. And uh, then you have a, a whole collection of, of other folks that uh, might be from the, um, there might be African American or of Caribbean Island descent or Central America or South America. And um, being an agricultural community where the main crops are sugarcane, row vegetables, citrus, and uh, cow-calf operations, um, I, don't, I don't think our demographics are, are much different than any other um, organism or any other community like that. Henry County has, has a lot of things that uh, rank it very high in the state. Traditionally have the highest unemployment 
the lowest household income, the highest percentage of the population enrolled in Medicaid, and the lowest uh, educational attainment of any of the 67 counties in um, the state of Florida. So we, we have some challenges, but um, um, a lot of good people live here. They, um, they have trouble accessing care and, and we try to we try to provide the best care that we can uh, to the to the communities that we serve. I think I think the other thing I'll just tag on to that um, the uniqueness about critical access hospitals when I first got into healthcare, care um, every community had its own hospital um, and then you know in the in the late 70s early 80s they started kind of buying up hospitals and that community hospital flavor was lost in urban areas that still exists for us here um we start this if you go out there and ask that community they'll tell you this is their hospital their opinion may vary of it um but this is their hospital and so that's the uniqueness that we retain from the days when I first started getting in healthcare. We do treat our neighbors. Um, the people that we treat, we see at the local stores. Um, and there is a very personal connection to that that is um, very unique um, and, and certainly quite different than what you'll find in urban hospitals and those settings. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, and coming through the pandemic, how how much did it change in terms of what you guys were seeing? <laughs> I know a lot from both in the ED and you know if there were patients that were admitted um, and kept for a couple of days before they were treated and released or transferred. You know how much did it, it how much did the pandemic change what you were dealing with on a day to day basis and in turn how did that impact your staff? Um, so a couple things. Uh, first of all, um, there was the um, lack of understanding of what what we were f facing. Um, and since I wasn't here during that time, I'll actually let Mr. Williams uh, speak to that. The pandemic for us came home to us in the summer of 2021. Um, and that was with the Delta variant. Um, at that point in time, we had pretty much um, uh, we were able to kind of manage pretty effectively um, with what was going on. You know, there was the there was the politics side of the pandemic and the healthcare side of pandemic, which um, uh, probably made it much more difficult than it had to be. Um, but in the summer of 2021, in August, um, our emergency department became a intensive care unit. Um, we actually had um, at the high point seven ventilator patients dependent um, on ventilators in the emergency department. This is an, so um, what it required of us was um, to say heroic um, steps to care for those patients um, is, is not an overstatement by any measure. Um, you know, our medical staff had to get involved. Um, it, was, it was a microcosm of what they experienced in large urban areas. We had no place to send them because the urban areas were full. We literally had to care for these very critical patients. And so that was that was the big thing. Now, from a, you know, managing the pandemic angle, um, we were losing nurses 
um, like crazy during that time because uh, the um, healthcare market had changed to to where our nurses could take local travel assignments, get paid twice as much as we could even come close to paying them. And so we we struggled with you know losing staff, um, the pandemic, and then you know which we'll be talking about soon the culture that that existed here when we were trying when we we're going through this. And so um, it, you'll hear us talk about in spite of all those things, we knew we had to make changes. Our hospital doesn't, does not typically have critical care beds. I mean, we, we, um, we have strong relationships with uh, tertiary and secondary hospitals on either coast. And we, we manage the transportation of those patients, but um, hospitals on either coast um, from the, the tip of Florida all the way up to the Georgia state line had zero critical care beds available to accept transfers, um, zero ECMO beds. Um, there, there were just, the, the system in Florida was overwhelmed. They managed, we managed through it, but um, we, we became very adept at uh, taking care of some very high complexity high acuity patients, much more so than you would traditionally see in a critical access hospital. But um, we, we, we did well, we, we stood up for our community and, um, and continue to. And what was the impacts as, as Dakota was alluding to that that had on culture, obviously seeing your fellow colleagues leave, right? With the travelers jobs, um, seeing potentially some of them pass away with the pandemic or seeing patients that you typically don't see those levels of death rates or complications seeing that. Obviously it was a very difficult time on a number of different fronts. Um, how did that impact your culture? And I know you, you, you made some significant um, changes to, to improve it, which have had some uh, amazing impacts. If you want to start talking about well, that. I, I mean, that. I, I think that as, as stress levels go, um, the, uh, the level of incivility increases, you know, people are, they, they're tired, they are, they get frustrated. They, they want to do more for the patients and, you know, they can't. So they, they start lashing out at each other and, um, here are all these other opportunities. I can sleep at, sleep in my bed every night, travel an hour and make two plus times what I'm, what I'm making in my, in my hometown hospital. So I, I think I'll do that and have a lot more cover in a big hospital. You know, if they've got, you know, 5,000 nurses, you know, we've got 90. <laughs> so there, there's a lot more cover uh, when you, when you go into situations like that. So what, we identified that we're going to have to make a change, that uh, um, uh, we had to do something to turn around uh, and be able to retain our staff and, and despite the pandemic, uh, create an atmosphere where people wanted to work here, to where we could bring back the folks that had left and become a, uh, an employer of choice. Um, even, if, even if our uh, compensation wasn't the highest in the market, it's not going to be the highest in the market. It's it's tough to compete with billion dollar medical centers. I mean, we just you know it's it's real tough to compete with. But we can address many of the other things that um, the non you know pay is number eight on the list when you start talking about okay. what what attracts people uh, and retains people in a job. So we, we wanted to focus on the things that were higher up the list and try to differentiate ourselves from 
other other employers and opportunities. Yeah, and can you talk about the happiness advantage? Yeah, so um, in the middle of all this mayhem, as it were, because uh, I met with the nursing leadership, I had accepted the full-time chief nursing officer position in June. Um, I had some history with the hospital, so I knew um, where their struggles were and um, the stress around the pandemic, the, the culture that existed, the change of leadership, all that kind of made this cauldron of really um, bad stuff. And so um, I had read the, the book, The Happiness Advantage by Sean Acor um, quite some time ago. And I always felt like it spoke to um, a part of healthcare that we, um, we always struggled with. You know, it's, it's very interesting. I was doing a class on conflict resolution with our new preceptor group. And, and I said, you know, you go through school and you get all this technical training. You go out into the, into the medical field and you get all this technical training. But we don't, we don't make boxes. We take care of people. And we do nothing to train these leaders and these nurses on behavioral skills. Now, how to deal with conflict. You know, con conflict is necessary. It, it can be healthy. And so um, my hope in, in knowing what the background of, of Sean's work was and positive psychology, we had got, there was kind of a synergy. We had gotten to a point with positive psychology where it was, I thought it was probably at its finest and strongest point from a research angle. You know, we, we knew more about neuroplasticity and to be able to rewire your brain and, and those kind of things. And, and, and so I thought it, when the perfect time came around, I thought that it could be useful. So I took the nursing leadership uh, in our nursing leadership meeting and I said to him, I can't promise you that this will make a difference, but if we go through these seven principles and we did a principle a month, we really went into them. And I said, it gives you a little more, some more tools to be a little happier. And mind you, we're getting ready to go into the worst part of the pandemic for us. I said, then I think it's worthwhile. And then the influence that it might have on our organization, um, if you look at the research, I thought it would be beneficial. I did, you know, you don't predict. Um, it was at the time, it was a pretty, pretty um, ugly situation. But um, they stuck with it. We went through the seven principles. Um, we learned some skills and some tools. And slowly over time, you could start to sense, especially in direct communications, interdepartmental with each other, it was starting to get better. You could start to see some of the light. And then um, I had uh, a conversation with Mr. Williams and I said, first I asked him about going through the happiness advantage. He said, yeah, absolutely. Let's try it. We got to try something. Um, and then we pivoted from that to book club, a book club. And that was uh, Darren Tully's book, Live Your Possible. And so again, it just kept that conversation going that, that, you know, we need to focus on us. Let's us get healthy. Because if you look at all the research, if you look at all the research about me having a happier, more engaged brain, I'm a better version of me. And if I'm a better version of me, what I do should have positive impact on that. So, 
So that's really the, the gestalt behind it. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the direction we took it in. Um, I have to tell you, um, I'm an optimist and I felt like it would help. Um, I'm also um, hard headed a bit, so I was persistent about it. But at the end of the day, I had no idea that, that um, it would have the, the enormous impact that it's had. And it only validates for me um, when we're looking at what we need to do differently um, in healthcare, this is where we need to look. And it's the last place we want to look because no people don't like vulnerability. And you have to acknowledge vulnerability to go down this path. Um, what so, were the seven principles and what are, you know, what are the key initiatives that you put in place? Well, uh, so the, the seven principles, um, first, it's, you know, it's the brain on unhappiness. Then it's about changing mindset, um, uh, dealing with conflict, being stuck, um, social socialization. So as we went through each one of those principles, we applied it not only to our work environment, but many times it, it kind of ran into the, to the personal environment as well. And so, um, that was the benefit of that application, um, of those principles. And it really, I think at the, the, the thought is, is that I have, I have an illusion of control over what life is and how life happens to me. And, but I do have complete control of how I respond to it. Mm -hmm. And so that's really the focus. It's about creating a mindset of how can I better respond to the ebbs and flows of life, um, you know, without um, either being a victim or creating victims. And so that's kind of, kind of how it went. But you said something, and I'll, I'll point out, nothing about what we've done has been um, systematized or required, or it, it's all voluntary. The, you know, the book clubs that uh, Dakota mentioned, we, we just mentioned that, look, you know, we're, we're going to, we found this new book, you know, if you want to learn more about uh, positive psychology, how to make things better. Um, you know, we're, we're having this book club. So we, you know, got 15 or 20 people that just volunteered to, to participate in that. And there was a kind of a groundswell and then a second one started. Um, so it, it, it's, it's grown organically and there hasn't, I mean, there's some formal coursework that is offered about the happiness advantage, but again, it's opened up, it's open for the entire workforce that, gee, if you've got, you know, nine weeks um, and uh, an hour a week, um, you know, sign up for this and, and, and learn about it and, and improve, improve your life and, and figure out what we're doing here. So we, we model it, um, the leaders in the organization that, um, you know, buy into this model it with, with their employees and the people that they interact with. Um, there, there's a, we've got, you know, a, you know, everybody has a slogan and, you know, healthcare is, an acronym heavy, but uh, ours uh, focuses on the word thrive. And each letter of the word thrive um, fits into the culture that we're trying to create. The T is trust because, you know, you've got to have trust to, to make this relationship work. Um, the H is honest and open communication. Um, R is respect. So the trust and respect that Dakota was already 
uh, talking about it. It's, it's respect that you give. Um, it, it's not respect that a position supposedly commands, but it's respect that you earn and respect that you give. Uh, give. I is inclusiveness and innovation. Um, you know, th this is different. We're innovating a way to uh, change the culture of an organization. And uh, we've got to be inclusive. We're a very diverse population and, and we've got to be inclusive and, and understand where people are and how they, where they are in life. Um, the V, uh, vulnerability. Um, to, to be able to share stories about yourself and how things impact you just builds that level of trust and that respect uh, when you share that with people. And then the, the E is um, expectations and excellence. Um, I, you know, Dakota's mentioned it to me on several occasions. Um, you know, so many things um, around quality and healthcare talk about being perfect. Well, you can't be perfect. You know, you just can't. You know, there's only one thing that was perfect. And, uh, but you can be excellent. And excellence is a journey. And you can be better tomorrow than you were today. So that's that journey towards excellence. And you can always do better. So that, that's why we have uh, excellence in, um, in, in, that, in that piece. But it's, it's all about creating an environment where people can thrive and find joy in work. Um, because, you know, someone, some smart guy said a long time ago, you know, if you're happy with what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. So, you know, why not, why not have joy helping other people? And that, that's what healthcare is all about. And one big thing that we changed, um, you know, a, a lot of initiatives in hospitals, you know, talk about focusing on the patient, make the patient number one, focus on the customer. And you know, we made a conscious decision that we're going to make our employees number one. We're going to focus on them first so that they have the tools and there's nothing impeding them from taking care of the patients. And we've seen a dramatic turnaround in uh, some of the, the metrics. It's validating what we're doing. Uh, we, we recently completed a, um, uh, the ARC uh, survey on patient safety culture. And uh, we more than doubled our net promoter score uh, within that uh, within that measurement, and uh, we had a 85 plus percent participation rate, engagement rate from the employees, where the national average is 46 percent. Uh, we've also just completed a, a employee engagement survey with Press Ganey, and we had 81 percent um, participation from our employees in that survey significantly higher than what they see in healthcare organizations. And our, um, our net engagement score increased 25 basis points from the last time we did the survey. The, the folks from Press Ganey were, you know, when they were sharing the executive summary, they, they just said, we, we don't understand. I mean, we, we don't see these types of results. It's not something that we're familiar with talking to people about. We normally have got a whole list of things that you can start focusing on and working on to improve. You don't have anything in those lower quadrants. Everything's in the upper quadrants. You're, you know, they, they tier your leaders as tier one, tier two, tier three, as being able to implement change and, and, and do things. And, you know, 
87% of our, our team are tier one leaders. So they're, they're able to go without any assistance, implement change uh, to, to improve the organization. And 13% were tier two and, and they just need minimal support to, to make those changes and, and no tier three. So the, the, the lowest percentile ranking that we saw on any of the results was the 77th percentile, which is pretty good. <laughs> And, but it, it ranged up to the 98th percentile on, on many of the scores. And, and we saw, you know, a minimum of 20 basis point improvement in the six areas that drive that uh, employee engagement score. So it's kind of validating uh, what we've been working on over the last couple of years and uh, looking forward to continuing it. So. Yeah, I think, I think the, I just want to, echo Mr. Williams uh, thought about the paradigm shift that that's occurred here. Um, because I know, um, being a clinician, a lot of people right away, we don't talk a lot about the patient. Um, and so um, our thought behind this was that again, if the research is sound, if this works, then the results will handle themselves. Um, being mindful that very early in, we didn't have a lot to, to bank that on, but when the AHRQ survey came back, the patient safety survey, and in the benchmark category, six of our elements were above national benchmarks. Um, you know, the there one, two of them were right at benchmark. Um, if you compared us to uh, the prior survey, nine of the 10 elements were above the previous survey, and six of those were statistically significant above. And and they, you know, Mr. Williams had mentioned the net promoter score. They, when we were talking to them, they go, we've not seen this before. What are you doing there? And so that was really for us validating that, that this was something very different. So the paradigm shift is focused on the creating an, an environment where our employees, our staff members, our team members can find joy at what they do, because that's why we get into this business. Everybody gets in healthcare as a, generally a, it's a very personal connection. Um, and, and that's what's happened. And the end result has been very positive. It, it echoes and validates what we've seen in the research. Yeah, in terms of, I mean, it all makes sense, which is if you're happy, you're going to do better work. It's the it's the oxygen mask principle, right? Take care of yourself first and it will come for everyone else around you. So one of the questions I have is how has, how has this impacted, and we talked about engagement scores and net promoter scores and stuff. How have you seen it impact culture or retention day to day and some of the issues at hospitals across the country? Sure, absolutely. I'm glad to, glad to share some. So um, we had a fall rate that was probably above the um, national average, which according to Health Streams, about 3.44 inpatient falls um, per thousand patient days for med surge. Um, we're, we're down to less than one. Uh, um, that's about one patient fall per thousand patient days. We've had, so we're what, July, almost August, we've had two falls this year inpatient-wise. Um, in, seven, so, in seven months. In seven months. Um, we're well on our way to being a zero fall organization. And it's the capitalizing on the energy around creating a positive environment and focusing on doing what's right and, and 
that's actually energized that. If you look at how falls are usually addressed, it's, oh, we got to get a subcommittee together. Um, we're not doing the right thing. We have to move people around. We, you know, people, people need to be more engaged. They're not watching the patients enough. It's, it's about accountability. And really that's, that's not how we handled it at all. Um, you know, we certainly spoke to the issues of, of falls, but we did in a very different way. We have a patient safety officer that created a falls committee that, that looks for opportunity to, um, see falls through a whole different lens where it's it's a, a lens of accountability in most organizations it's a lens of opportunity here and so that's uh, again i fully expect that at some point in time we'll be saying that we've had zero falls for a full year um, and again our our case mix index which is our true objective indicator on our patient acuity hasn't changed. As a matter of fact, it had been higher for a long time than it had been historically. And so our patients were more complex. They were harder, but they were falling less. They're, and they weren't falling less because, you know, um, we had, there was any magic. It was just that people were in a better place to protect and do the right thing. And that's what it's about. Um, so, uh, you know, that's one I could, I could share uh, our med scanning, all that. It, it's, it's um, all better than it had been, um, and in most cases, significantly better. So during the uh, 2021 uh, reporting period, we had 40% turnover in the nursing service area, four, four, four zero. <laughs> um, the end of the most recent reporting period is 19, 19%. So um, something changed. <laughs> <laughs> Um, is now thinking about it, you're set up in a very, um, potentially unique situation where it's a tight team. It's a close team. It's a smaller team than potentially some hospitals around the country that are facing similar issues with retention, with environmental, um, I guess, lack of happiness, if that's a way to say it, um, a lack of joy in the workplace, just because it's become one more commoditized and two, just more stressful, right. To be a healthcare worker in this country these days, um, are these lessons you think that could be applied to hospitals that are different than yours? Not, not I, as in not a critical access hospital, not a small hospital, but maybe even a large hospital, 500 beds, 700 beds, 300 beds. Um, you know, how much of this is replicable? Um, even, even if it's not systematized, how much of the process and the um, learnings behind it do you think could be used? Because as you probably know, talking to your, your peers in, in healthcare administration, there are many hospitals facing exactly the same issue you guys are, you faced and that you improved in terms of staff retention, especially nursing retention, in terms of patient care issues and, and outcomes and clinical improvements, all of that, right? And those are huge, huge problems that impact not just the quality of care provided, but the financial situation for all of these hospitals. So would love to see if you guys think this is, I, I this think, is something that could be used. I think what gives me the most hope and the most passion surrounding this is that this is not an economy of scale thing. This is just about treating people um, in a manner in which they can be the best that they can be. And we talk about it all the time. I've been at Studer hospitals. I've been at university hospitals. We talk about it all the time. It's the application of it that doesn't work. So why it's worked here is because this gentleman sitting to my left, the CEO of the hospital said, this is where we got to go. I see the benefit in this. And then he started to believe 
at a level that you have to believe in um, to interpret it into the environment. So from the top down to the bottom, inside and out. And that doesn't mean that we didn't get resistance. I had people quit because they didn't want to be happy. Literally <laughs> said that. Literally Wait, said that. I don't. <laughs> so, so I think at the end of the day, is it transferable? Absolutely. Are you willing to be vulnerable? Are you willing to, to look in the mirror first? Um, because that's what it takes. It, it takes an honest conversation with yourself. What are you willing to do to create that environment? You know, there's other industries that have done this. Uh, Menlo is and actually that they we share um, their mission statement, which is they wanted their employees to thrive. They wanted to create joy at work. And so that's another industry where it was comparable and it worked works very well for them and has worked longstanding for them. And so absolutely, I believe it's transferable more. More than that, I think we're obligated. You you look at um, burnout in this industry, um, people that have walked away from this, that, that got into it with a passion. Um, the things that we're doing here help avoid those kind of, that, that kind of symptom buildup over time. And that's the importance of this. You know, um, Mr. Williams had mentioned that we don't shoot for perfection. Do you know what's caused by people who aim for perfection, even though we know A, it's an illusion, and B, if you believe you can do it, it's it's delusional, um, is that, you know, you're, you're generally more unhappy, um, chronic headaches, hypertension, all those kind of things come into play there. And, and you put that into an environment that's already, you know, being challenged by things like the pandemic and politics in the pandemic and um, sicker patients and um, uh, more staff turnover. Um, it's so what we're doing here, absolutely very transferable. My question to anybody who's running those larger organizations, what do you want to do about it? What are you willing to do about it? Yeah. I mean, and it's, I mean, there's, I'm sure that, you know, we chose to make it organic and, and to spread it organically and to, to and very purposely have not, Put it in a box because uh, we we that innovation piece that we were talking about that's in the word thrive. I mean, every manager that is um, is working on the positive positive psychology in their department is doing it differently. There's no wrong way, um, and, and if they need help, we'll we'll help them and, and make suggestions and, and offer and offer suggestions. There there's there's just there's a world of books about uh, positive psychology and how you can impact yourself and make yourself happy. So you know there's a there's a world of ways that you can do it. So um, you know can, is it is it scalable? Is what we've done scalable? Yeah, you, you you've got to have somebody that believes in it and is uh, invested in it and 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 wants to make it happen. And there's got to be support uh, from the very highest level to um, uh, shut down or deflect. The naysayers that that surround it, like any other initiative in an organization, you know, you can, you know when when we first started doing uh, computerized physician order entry, I mean, it was a big division, you know, in medical staffs about, well, I'm not going to do that. You can't take away my pen. Well, yeah, we're going to though. <laughs> so how do you make that happen? You, somebody at the very top said we've got to do it, and and you made it happen. So it, it's no different. 
Um, well, thank you so much for sharing your journey and how you guys were able to make such a dramatic impact in, in your community and at your hospital by something seemingly as simple as bringing joy to the everyday, right? And bringing happiness to the everyday. Um, just to close off with, what are you excited about uh, for this going forward? Whether it's a continuation of this or something new that you're working on now, since you're now, you know, addicted to the drug of innovation, if you will. <laughs> well, I think for me, that's the excitement of it. I, I, I can't predict that, um, you know, where it'll come from, whose ideal it'll be. Um, you know, I shared with you what our, our patient safety officers tilt is on, on patient safety. Those things are very exciting to me. Um, I had a nurse uh, or nurse leader who interviewed a, a, a potential new nurse yesterday and they were telling that new nurse about Thrive. And she goes, I've never heard anything like that in any other organization I've went to. I want to go to those classes. And, and that director came to me and she was so excited at the response of this, this um, potential candidate um, that she was just kind of, you could see the pride in her. And so it's those things that, um, you know, we're doing Thrive 2.0. Uh, Mr. Williams added excellence. So those are the things that excite me. I, I told the I told the group yesterday, I said, you know, I'd like to be retired boondocking in the desert and hear about Thrive 14.0. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, we're we're um, we're starting to reach out now. And um, just like this opportunity with you, um, you know, there's some other opportunities that are, are coming forward that uh, we're going to try to capitalize on and, and talk about what we've been doing. Um, and if it gets, you know, one other organization interested in doing it and we can help them, then um, that, that's, that's where we are right now, I think. You know, we want to continue um, improving and, and seeking excellence within our own organization. But, um, you know, it, you can help other people, you know, so that's, that's what we want to try to do. That's fantastic. I'm sure I'm going to get people pinging me on this. I will be sending them your way. <laughs> Um, thank you both so much for the time today, and I hope you have a lovely rest of your Friday and a lovely weekend. All right. Thanks, thank Anita. you. We appreciate it.